0: Welcome to the first episode of Punk and Aspirin. Uh I'm your host Jeb Shred. I have my co-host here Scott Snot, and we're going to talk <laughs> a little bit of uh punk rock. Um honestly like I didn't do like a whole lot of writing some stuff down because I wanted to kind of keep it fresh but like i feel like the first thing right out of the bat here i want to just sort of let listeners know what types of things you know we'll talk about and just sort of the name punk and aspirin was one that we kind of came up with because like it's a little bit harder to be a punk rocker i guess when you're an old crusty guy and uh, maybe you need a couple aspirins after the show or after a surf
1: definitely requires
0: aspirin yeah (laughs) But I felt like the one thing that we had in common was, you know, we sort of met because of surfing and surf club, uh, University of Florida. And uh, obviously you have a a competitive surfing background uh, before then. And um, I think we bonded over punk rock music and ended up kind of going to a lot of shows in Gainesville back in the day. So, oh, yeah, I think uh, we haven't kept in great touch over the years, but through social media, we've kind of always known what each other's up to. And, uh, I think, I don't know, from a fan perspective, there's not a lot of these kinds of podcasts, you know, there's a lot of real punk rockers doing podcasts, but not a lot of fans and definitely not a lot of dudes from the East coast representing, you know, the surf culture and punk rock culture. And so, uh, you know, just for early definition from me, it's sort of like two kind of surf punks, um, talking about like, you know, politics and music and kind of what's happening in in surf and skate. Um, we're gonna try to incorporate some of our sponsorship in here too. Um, you know, pro cannabis media has been, you know, fantastic to us inviting us to be a part of you know what they're doing. Um I won't say we're gonna be about cannabis, but certainly we're definitely pro-cannabis lifestyle. And um, I mean I just smoked a ball before we even talked, so we're already <laughs> pro-cannabis. So um, I don't know, Scott, go. what you have to say, like uh, what you think this thing's all about, because we haven't really talked much. So I'll just sort of turn it over to you and let you talk.
1: You know what? For me, it's um, like punk and aspirin is kind of what it was to be a punk in my 20s, or perhaps what I thought was a punk in my 20s, and uh, what my outlook is now, how I've evolved, and, you know, and, and that's okay. I mean, I think, uh, I think part of punk as a whole. I think punk evolved out of jazz and blues and maybe a little Johnny Cash and, and became what it was, what it is, you know, and I think we're just going to look at discovering that, how it applies to today. You know, I was listening to, uh, we were talking about Devo, went back and listened that, you know, when I was younger, I didn't realize how much of their music was satire. And now, you know, it, and, and it, they're talking stuff in the what, 72, right? 70,
0: 72?
1: Yeah, yeah. they were like the kids. It's so relevant today. It applies to the shit storm going on today. So, you 100%. know, I'm just kind of uh, looking forward to just having some good discussion with, uh, you know, you, you introduced me to a lot of bands back in the day. Um, you as well. You know, so uh, just bringing that back up and most certainly not a, a historian or a gatekeeper in any way. Yeah, me neither. I think Uh, uh, over the last 30 years, one thing I learned not to do was to music shame. And, um, you know, because I think there's something in in everybody's music that is at least worth one listen, if not more.
0: True. It's easy to make fun of too sometimes though. So it's worth the...
1: Oh, well, that's perfect.
0: <laughs> and being
1: non-musical at all, like I can't play shit, gives me the perfect perspective because I'm equally inadequate at everybody's music. Right. <laughs> Therefore, all I'm left with is the ability to judge. so well, but, I I'll, I'll, but I'll try not to be a gatekeeper.
0: I mean, I think we've been to some shows that you wouldn't really consider those folks punk rock. Um, I was just telling someone the other day, like this incredible story, how I went to a free house of pain show in Gainesville, and I was shooting pool with my friend Scott, and this opening band that no one ever heard of, Rage the Machine, came on, and like we literally dropped our fucking pool sticks because they were so powerful and so different from anything I think I had heard at that time, um, and uh, and I, I think we went it. to that because. Uh...
1: I was working at a pizza shop and some guy came in and handed me a, a cassette, you know, with the monk on fire on the little cassette. And I listened to one song and I'm like, who are these guys? I mean, where's this at? I want to go. Yeah. This is who I want to go listen to. Yeah. I there was a, remember,
0: a few great surprises in Gainesville. I, I remember having a bad attitude about it. Like, cause it's house of pain, like, which is cool for the one song and your party and whatever, <clears throat> But I just imagined a night of shooting pool and hanging out. And uh, I just, by the end of that first song, I think they opened with like Freedom or something really powerful. And the guy, I was like right there. <laughs> um, so that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about kind of in the podcast, those experiences. Um, you know, before we get too deep into the, you know, specific stories, just want to kind of like go into a little bit of our backgrounds, um, how we met in Gainesville in college timeframe. Uh, I think you're a couple of years older than I am.
1: Um, <clears throat> probably, I think, a few years, right? Yeah, I think three. When were you born? 69.
0: 69, I'm 72. So, yeah. yeah
1: I think so. Okay.
0: Um, I came from South Florida. I was down in that little Broward County pocket. Um, wasn't a whole lot of uh, punk rock scene, just a couple little things going on. But, you know, honestly, it was surfing and skateboarding that turned me onto the music. Um, I think we talked about that a little bit, more than a few times. Um, you know, you with Agent Orange and...
1: Yeah, yeah. Me. First punk band I heard was uh, Agent Orange and TSOL in a Billabong video. I had to be, I don't know, 14?
0: Yep. I think for me it was uh, like Minor Threat and Circle Jerks. Um, at a rope swing with some older dudes. Um, right. Kind of thing, and you know, when you wanted to be like a little surfer kid and you're hanging out with the older surfers in the 70s and 80s, you just sort of went along with what they were doing and you got exposed to stuff. So that's kind of like where I came from down south. And uh, I had a little crew of guys that I hung out with that surfed and we all kind of listened to punk rock and, you know, new wave, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, I consider myself a new wave connoisseur. Um, It's one of my little guilty pleasures that I know every word to every freaking Depeche Mode song, but um, I just voice it be on worse fucking podcast? It <laughs> <But, laughs> could be worse, right? Um, but I think I rolled into Gainesville to go to college at, <clears throat> with a couple of my buddies. And um, that's where we met, University of Florida Surf Club. You were a big dog um, on the team. I want to say you were like this big NSSA champion and shit before. Never a champion. Okay.
1: Always, always a runner up, never a champion, it seemed.
0: So, at your age, you're like Donovan Frankenrider was winning the NSSAs during your years in, like, the mid-80s and later 80s.
1: Well, late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, once again, never <laughs> champ, wow. runner-up.
0: That's but cool, um, man.
1: But in, on the college level, you know, there were so many guys coming out of the water, especially in Florida at that time, that were just phenomenal surfers. Yeah. And, um, you know, there wasn't really, a, the best structure in the world to nurture some of that. Now there probably is after, you know, after Kelly,
0: right. Still um, probably not as good, man. Like, it's not like it's California where y- you have surfings like a soccer mom equivalent out there. Uh, yeah. Maybe... Right.
1: You know, here it's still, you know, it's, it's still the South yeah. buddy, you know,
0: maybe like it's Melbourne beach. You know, that little stretch between Cocoa Beach and Melbourne Beach, you have a little bit of that California, coach them up since they're little, but that's really it, you know, and we have to work like the East Coast surfers, like go get jobs and
1: yeah, we're on a different path. Hey, I think it is. It's uh, the industry is, uh, you know, if we could lift surfboards and put big exhaust pipes on the back, we'd probably have more opportunity in Florida for a lot (laughs) of these surfers coming out. But that's not, uh yeah, no one's figured out how to do that yet. But yeah, I don't think the industry on the East Coast really embraces itself like it does on the West Coast as like, uh, you know, here it's still, if you skateboarder, you surf, you're still kind of, oh, hey dude, you know, right. what's up, uh, bra or whatever it might be, but. You know, more of a punk rock edge on the East coast, you know, I would say that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's more, I think the California surf scene definitely has a lot more flowers in it than the East coast does
0: for sure. Yeah. But like I can go down to some, you know, local beaches in, in Rhode Island and some of the more hot spots in the Northeast. And there's some dudes our age and five mils just making California guys look bad. So, you know, I feel like there is a, space there to recognize that east coast folks like have contributed and are still part of you know the influencing group of surfers and i definitely feel like california folks claim that shit for themselves like completely um and don't always go make that effort to recognize the east coast stuff um doesn't help that like guys like you know our biggest dudes end up moving out there even like recent leg like, with and sure. parks was like a West coast or East coast Florida curl. And now she's in San Clemente, but like, it makes sense. Waves are way freaking better and there's a scene and there's support. And that's just something that we don't have here.
1: And also, you know, at some point it like, especially for Caroline, I mean, this is a job now, this is a career and, and you got to go, you know, just like in anything, you got to go where the, uh, where the career
0: best fits. She shreds, man. She does. There's no she gap does. in her game other than experience, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think we might have another, you know, East Coast dominant woman.
0: I don't know what the issue is right her. now. I don't think she's in the top five. Um, well, I don't think she competed the first
1: couple events. Was it I think she might be hurt or whatnot. Like, I haven't seen her compete. You know, I try to track it. And you have some of the... Uh, You know, you got a good up-and-comer that's done a couple Florida events. Matter of fact, she just won the Pro Junior and the Pro event. Uh, What's her name? Alyssa Spencer, I think. And then you had Sage Erickson's pretty big name from California. Was here in Florida. So you're starting to get some names coming to some of these events in Florida. Uh, But our big name, you know, from Florida currently as a woman. Of course, we've got, you know, a few big names. Wasn't it different
0: in the 80s, though? Like, I remember there being, like, a pro uh, contest, at Sebastian Inlet. And I remember, like, even we had Scott McCrannells, who was a pro, like, kind of. Like, oh, yeah. We used character. to have, have a few, like, Charlie
1: Kuhn, you know, came out. Todd Holland was right, right, right. there. I think you Todd know, Holland's,
0: like, still involved in it.
1: he's like Kelly fan. launched. Um, after then, we had the, what, the Mendia generation, the Lopez generation, right? Yeah, all those guys have kids
0: now that rip. Well, <laughs> I yeah,
1: you know I I'm I'm sure it's uh
0: there's definitely genetics involved in one way or another. It's crazy. So like a little bit of my background as a professional, you know, I was a school teacher for twenty five years, and I spent some time. I did like a couple years in Central Florida. I lived right by Sebastian Inlet, like literally, like right at this blinking light, basically where there was like a little store. Um, and this guy that I lived with was a pretty decent surfboard shaper, and he had a gig with the NSSA as a judge, and, you know, he was just sort of good friends with all those guys, and one day they needed a judge, and they were like, well, Jeb's a school teacher, and he's been surfing for, like, 20 years, so next thing I know, I'm a full-time NSSA judge, and I uh, stuck that job for a while. It was mostly setting up tents and, like, you know, right. <laughs> getting bit by freaking no and, you know, dealing with, with red tide. And, you know, you are getting that soccer mom level person yelling at you about heat scores and whatever. So, um, you know, I sort of lived it a little bit um, as a, on the judge side before I, uh, I left the central Florida area. But um, I don't know. So how did you end up in Gainesville?
1: Uh, I had a buddy that was going to school there. I was kind of just floundering around in Daytona, you know. I think Daytona was uh catching on to my shenanigans. I, <laughs> I needed to go create shenanigans somewhere else, which is what I did. I mean, you know, though my whole educational
0: experience in Gainesville wasn't really educational. Right. You know. Yeah, but like you saw some good shows. I know that cuz I was there with you.
1: Yeah and Did some great stuff, and you know, and and uh, convinced people I was doing things I wasn't doing, and I'd take some money and I'd go to Europe, you know, (laughs) or or I'd I'd go to California, I'd you know,
0: yeah, do some great things. I wouldn't change it at all, man. Good time. It was a good time, and a lot of the guys from that University Forest Surf Club from that little era keep in touch. Um, I'm still in touch with the Tom Bra. I see his kids they visit boston um squirrely steve and some of those guys are on uh, social media um Bra,
1: there's an adult cartoon waiting to happen <laughs> i love that guy man he's uh, i know it's like he's he's the perfect mix of of evil and and,
0: and joy i wouldn't call him evil uh well <laughs> But uh, I'm sure a couple of Tom Brawl stories will come up in our little punk rock. Music. Oh, boy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's sort of like the Gamesville scene. It, it, it had its thing while we were there, but I wouldn't say it is what it is now. It's sort of a revered, you know, scene at this point. Um, I would say while we were there, it was definitely more, you know, underground. I don't remember the big festival or anything like that that they have going on.
1: No, I don't remember the big festival. They did have a reggae fe- festival when we were down there which was a lot of fun, but all we did to get some
0: great shows though. Yeah. And you local know? music too. Like, so like, you know, I don't know a lot of people I tell all the time, like Lesson Jake was, a, was our age and right. were students and playing in our backyards and right. we had a great time with the local bands that were there. In fact, I met Lesson Jake a couple of years ago. I got backstage in a New Hampshire show and uh, I was like, you have surf club, man. And totally guys remembered us um we had a good laugh um they didn't remember tom being naked and getting arrested but
1: no do you remember that (laughs) he came out he came out moshing completely butt naked yeah then the police are trying to clear everybody out they told us hey uh we're gonna let you guys handle that we'll be back in 10 minutes (laughs) they come back in 10 minutes and he's on the uh young woman's car who's trying to leave just uh
0: naked doing
1: a little monkey fisting, yeah,
0: yeah, that's just those are yeah I don't you know, there's a good thing that there isn't uh YouTube and video cameras on your phones back
1: then, oh shit, yeah, no, it's uh
0: we'd probably all be in jail, so I would say that you know we've been to quite a few shows, um I mean. If we're throwing a number out there, probably in the double digits for sure. Um, just in those couple years. Um, I know that you still go to a lot of stuff. I try to. Uh, it's hard these days. You know, Boston's just a bunch of sweaty dudes most of the time. Um, it's a little bit of hassle and I end up leaving early. So I don't know if that makes me not punk, but <laughs> I'd rather just sort of savor it. Like good steak in my house, um, right. my car, and... I don't know. I get more out of the music, I think, than some other folks do because, like, some of those kids that we grew up with that are our best friends have completely different politics than we do. And, you know, I scratch my head because I'm like, you're listening to the same shit we were listening to. And I don't know if I was just maybe more influenced by all of that. But um, I wanted to get into our topic, basically, which is kind of just defining punk rock because, like, some folks, you know, kind of assign it like this little, you know, put it in this little box. It's like this little aggressive, you know, kind of thing where we know that it's kind of diverse and has many subgenre types. Yeah, I get
1: it. The purest. I don't know. I, I, I almost think the purest when it comes to music, especially punk rock, aren't punk rock at all, you know?
0: Well, I mean, is it a sound or is it like this well, like philosophy or attitude or does it have to be both? It, well, it, it's, if you're going to call it punk rock,
1: right? If you're going to label it as rock, then it's got to have some kind of sound, Fair. you know, involvement. But, but I don't think it's a specific sound. And I, like, I think the attitude are, is more important, you know? I think... Uh,
0: yeah, but why is, like, Blondie punk? Like, I mean, I'm with you, dude. Like, I like Devo. I think they're a punk band. But then I look at, like, this New York scene that supposedly birthed the punk scene or whatever. And, and Blondie's in there. And I'm like, I mean, all right. They were different, I guess. They were doing it yourself. DIY. I had to have some of that credibility. But.
1: Well, you kind of said it. Here, here's why I think Blondie's uh-huh. punk. Is because, uh, speaking of Blondie, there she is up top. See her. Okay. <laughs>
0: um.
1: Blondie's punk because she was doing something that everybody in this scene was telling a woman not to do. True, and I think that's punk rock. I think that's punk. I think it's, uh, you know, it it is. It's uh, it's it's going against what everybody's telling you to do. It's it's and but doing it for the right reasons. You know, I think a lot of punk rock. Um, I think a lot of those bands didn't start out you know, as, as, uh, savants of music by any means, but a lot of them really put out thought into a message. They
0: were trying to, you know,
1: yeah, to the
0: younger generation understand that, man. I feel like to them, it's all sound. Well, the big
1: question is, did you understand it when I was younger? You know, I like surf hard anarchy, right? The, you know, like punk rock was, Anarchy, wasn't that the big thing, you know? Uh well yeah, anarchy's yeah. it's lazy really, right? Anybody can go out and get shit faced and piss their bed and you know, or or fall down drunk and mosh or you know, whatever it might. Anybody can do that. So anarchy was kind of kind of lazy. That's the difference between me at twenty and me now is now I begin to really kind of hear the subhumans you know what i mean where at the time i was just like yeah these guys were like hey fuck you but now i can actually hear why they were saying fuck you i think i think that's the difference i think any young generation has to grow out of that evolve out of that and mature out of that just like we did
0: you know i feel like i was so for me when I started listening to the very first times I heard punk rock, you know, like the suicidal tendencies and the minor threats and whatever, I was really young. Like we're talking like elementary school and you know, I was already skateboarding and, you know, trying to surf and, you know, I thought that I was a surfer by the fifth grade or whatever. Right. We because all know. I assigned myself that music because it was what the older kids that I had seen were listening to down at Dana Beach and whatever. So um I say I, when I first fell in love with music, it was more falling in love with like sort of that new wave music of the eighties, you know, which is still considered a sub punk genre. Um, I kind of got into it mainly because it was kind of different than what everyone else was listening to. And I think I was more open to what lyrically I was going to be confronted with later on in college that sort of changed me. So I actually remember, so punk, the punk experience for me, like in high school and stuff, um, even though I was still really into surfing, I was um, really into those, you know, Depeche Modi and electronic bands. And I was going down to South Beach and trying to dance. And, and you know, my friend's dad owned a gay nightclub and they played incredible new wave music all night long. And we would just go in there and dance. And like, we had a good time, man. Right. And so I was sort of hooked on that scene when I got to college. And, you know, I was aware of the punk rock because of my skateboarding and surfing and uh you know obviously when i was a little kid and i didn't understand the music um but i i started to hear it a little bit when i got older and there were some crossover bands obviously that let me sort of let that enter into my repertoire there um but i i, I honestly remember um i met this guy tom rod surf club meeting in, in like i don't know first couple of weeks of being in college university of florida and um you know he was into this band pixies that i was into one of those crossover kind of we're not sure uh-huh. are they punk or new wave or like you know getting those arguments but um you know for me i i went to his house and we're hanging out and he had a roommate there were a couple guys that were older than me really fucking smart and they were listening to bad religion and uh <laughs> I fucking sat on this couch and listened to the Bad Religion No Control album like 150 times at your house. Like, I was just so fucking blown away by, like, what the guy was fucking saying and that, you know, punk rock. What, that's when it came to me that it wasn't a sound. Like, to me, that was sort of when, like, this is fucking meaningful kind of shit. Um, and uh, I think. Yeah, I'd I, say I, I agree with
1: that. I mean, Greg wrote stories kind of
0: like Mike Ness writes stories right you know
1: and yeah it was uh, cool
0: to meet other kids man because like I don't know uh, about where you grew up in Florida but no one fucking listened to social distortion in my high school and you know I got to college and here I met this couple guys that listened to the same type of music and then exposed me to you know like I had heard the 21st century song a couple times on you know sure college radio station or whatever but I had my love for Bad Religion, which I, I don't know, it could be my favorite band. I'm not 100% sure, but, um, you know, it sort of started because I thought, like, that guy's fucking smart. I needed, like, a dictionary and a thesaurus and all these materials to even decipher his fucking a, songs.
1: <laughs> but sometimes good punk rock requires a thesaurus, you know? And then there's a, there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of people who took Bad Religion as... Oh, what's he whining about or what, right, you know, right, right.
0: this and For, that. There's and a lot I, of folks I, that would say Bad Religion was soft at that time. Like, and you play that now and they're like, oh, that's hardcore, you know. And, and
1: Yeah, I never really saw him as as hardcore. I mean, it's
0: uh, you fucking look him up on Apple Music. I think a couple of albums are listed like that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, that's once but again, they're not like, back no to the gatekeeper, right? Right. The gatekeeper's always going to put every little thing in a in a little file, and then that's you know hey, that's where you find it. Go look at
0: hardcore A or you
1: know or whatever, but
0: well they no, weren't just yeah, talking that was shit smart either smart music yeah well, they weren't just that's what I'm saying like they weren't just talking shit, like how right were they about like so many things
1: like well it, you know it goes back to what we said about Devo earlier, but you talk about bad religion and uh. Like, I really, really like Pennywise as well. And I get it. it some of their, you know, political songs are kind of campy, but that's what makes them kind of fun, too, you know? Yeah. Well, they're uh-huh. surfers,
0: man. They're not, like, fucking... Greg Graffin has, like, degrees from, you know, doctorates in, in master's degrees. You know, I would say Pennywise has a degree in punk rock. Like, they fucking played, learned more from working class. Yeah, but, you know, a
1: lot of those Epitaph bands came out and uh, put out some great music, but put out music with, uh, you know, with an attitude and a a message of doing the right thing, even though the populace might be saying, no, hey, don't do that, you know? And um, for me, that was was kind of it early on with punk rock was that there was, uh, it was more holistic. It wasn't, uh, it didn't exclude anybody, really, you know? Now, there was factions of it, right? You know, like you you had your skinheads who went off on a completely, you know, bizarre hate tangent, but for the most part, punk rock was, hey, come as you are, be as you are, and, uh, you know, like,
0: go with it, fuck the man, right? Well, I mean, that's when you look at my collection of friends from high school and college, just very colorful, eclectic mix of of people. Um, But, you know, honestly, this leads into a pretty interesting
1: question, because like Epitaph is like a legendary
0: punk label run by bad religion and, you know, or guys from bad religion. Um, A lot of what they're putting out now, gets criticism for not being punk rock like and when you look at it man like you can easily see the argument there like there's a lot of uh i don't know it's pop music um it is cool like, a lot of it's a do it yourself type of pop music these kids are making uh-huh. you know tracks in their basement you know and that's kind of like what punk rockers were doing cuz you know they weren't getting record deals um and they're able to like sell out big venues that way and get a big following through that kind of uh do-it-yourself grassroots type shit so there's a lot of bands like that on the epitaph label i was cruising through their website uh, a couple days ago and you know, some of the bands are really interesting there's a band on their bad sons that i think's pretty freaking cool they're like a 80s new wavy like all electronic right um but the fucking lyrics are clever and you can dance to it and like I was in my twenties and I would fucking love going to a club and hearing music like that. Um, so I feel like they're still a punk label, but, um, I don't even know they want to be sort of even labeled or put in that box anymore. It just seems like it's super diverse and that there could be an argument that this whole like punk as we knew it, it is dead is gone. Cause you're not seeing a whole lot of new stuff. You're seeing a lot of retread. Well, I, I, I think you're not seeing a whole lot of, uh, Who's put new music out?
1: New stuff like, I don't know, like Minor Threat, right? You you go back, iconic punk band in my mind, right? right? Um, But there can only really be a minor threat, right? You know, they kind of came together and and for, what, just a couple years, put out something that kind of did. It, It influenced the whole scene, and then they all went in different directions, right? I, shit, I think the guitarist—well, I, I know he is—plays with Bad Religion. You know, we Ian McKay went on, did Fagazi, and then he, you know, now he, I think, plays in an acoustic duo. But it's still there. Like when you talk about the Epitaph label, you you said why there's still punk rock in my mind is because they're still taking. Guys creating stuff in their basement or their garage and putting
0: it out there. Don't right? they have to? Because there's like a shit ton of indie labels now that can produce in their basements. And there's yeah. literally punk rock happening everywhere in every town. You could just listen to what's happening in your big city. and, probably and That's why,
1: yeah, that's why I think it's, a, it's more of an attitude now. It's more of, uh, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against the odds, right? And, um, and that's what, what they're still putting out, you know, now I think a lot of punk rock has come full circle too, because you do have a lot of the bands that we used to listen to that are back out on tour. Oh, the queers just came through town, right? Yeah. See huge
0: shirt there. Yeah. 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 Um, And some of the old, old guys too, which like when you get to talking to punk rockers that are like twenties and thirties these days. You're just they're just like, oh, you listen to all the old guy bands, you know, like accusing us of like not exploring, but you know, where do you hear music that isn't put out on the labels where you can get stuff? You're not young, you're not like in the scene necessarily anymore. Um, so I do when No Effects puts out a new album or Bad Religion puts out a new album or Queers puts out a new album. Sure. I will consume it and buy it. I I don't buy into this sellout bullshit. I always thought that was stupid in the scene, um, you know, from a a financial standpoint. But um, now that seems like that's the cool thing to do, like market and and cash in. Well, yeah. I mean,
1: ultimately, everyone, they're they're just chasing a a better job than working at the ice cream parlor, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what we would all want to do is, is be a rock star when we're kids. So if you get an opportunity to, to really pursue it, make a career out of it, it there's no selling out. I'm going to see right uh, green day this coming weekend. And you've heard over the years, all oh, green day sold out. Why did they sell out? Yeah. Because they used to open for bands and now they're the headliner. They still sound the same to me.
0: Because they write kick ass songs and make millions, you know, of know, and like, doesn't make and sense. It's,
1: yeah, it's just people discovered them, and then a, a lot more people discovered them, and they made were a you, career
0: out of it. Were you at, a, at that show a in Career, the, the Kerplunk show.
1: Uh, when
0: was that? Was Way like, back
1: when was that?
0: Ninety-two
1: uh, ish. I was not yeah. at that show. Who was it? Green Day opened up, and then was it? I remember, it was either oh. Body Count. In Bad Religion or Pennywise in Bad Religion?
0: Well, I was at the Body Count because we were at the bar with iced t and I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a great show. Yeah. great. But no, great it show. wasn't Body Count. It was a, I just remember I regretted going to that because everyone was walking around with a kerplunk fucking cassette for a couple months, you know, having to borrow it from someone before you could get it in the record store. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just sort of like a new Descendants to me at the time. You know, but but
1: yeah, so anyway, sell out, make a career out of it,
0: whatever. It's just so, that's just a lazy way to be a gatekeeper. Hey, you know, one of those bands that was playing in our backyards that are our age are, turn out to be some of the greatest punk rock band of all time with Les and Jake. I mean, these fucking guys have been traveling around a van for years years and years. years. Yeah. You
1: know, know, and And, uh, and still uh, a fun show, yeah, dude. I haven't totally. seen them in a long time live, but uh, every, every time I've seen them, fun show, they still come up in my feed all the time.
0: And I saw them at uh Hampton Beach in New Hampshire like three or four summers ago, maybe even five summers ago, yeah. It was all time, man. <laughs> all time, dude. Um, somehow, like you know, you can get in and buy like the back behind the scenes kind of tour or whatever like for extra sure yeah, yeah. so I, I fucking did that and I ended up hanging out back there with uh with those guys for a while talking about the old days in Gainesville um, yeah that's cool so glad and feel so lucky kind of to be a part of that a little bit and and um you know we had a good time for sure um all right well I think I'm gonna put our website out here in like a week or so and Okay, pop a poll on there or two. I might even just make a um a poll that has like a couple questions and we'll see if we can aggregate some data um and see what listeners think. I don't know, our two or three folks that might listen to this actual episode. <laughs> I don't know if that'll <laughs> aggregate the uh attention that we're looking for, but uh maybe we could have some sort of poll and then kind of react and talk to it, talk about it like on the next, you know, show that goes after that. Um unless there's anything else you wanted to add, um, you know. No. I'm sort of in agreement with uh, most of the stuff you say, but sometimes I have to kind of remind myself of that because, like, fucking Blondie will be on, like, a pop station next to Mariah Carey, and it doesn't... And and so what? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, at the same time, like, so you can criticize bands for, like, hey, you should have given up before you were trying these other albums, and I still feel like Pop people follow those rules too.
1: And uh you know, ultimately it all comes down, especially anybody trying to do anything in America, it all comes down to trying
0: to pay your bills. You know, it didn't help with the whole there there's a whole bunch of bands that were sort of selling that creed, like don't sell out type stuff, like sub kind of consciously. So like I carried around, you remember like there were lines in, in the band we're gonna talk about here for a minute from too much joy um that says every good band should be shot before they make their combat rock and i remember hearing that lyric when i was in high school uh and and not understanding what that meant because i fucking loved combat rock (laughs) right you know what i mean like that was a great i thought was a great punk album right so Mm -hmm. like Even in the bands I love, there was a little bit of like sewing of that, like, you're not fucking cool if you are on the radio, basically.
1: And I don't know if that was like
0: just jealousy from those bands that weren't being played on the radio. Um, I don't want to say that 100 percent, but.
1: And it'd be hard to
0: decipher from too much joy.
1: I mean, it it could have been satire. It could have been them saying, fuck that. Give me the contract and I'll I'll write combat rock, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, those guys, those guys were, you turned me on to them, as a matter of fact. Those guys probably still are very, very funny guys.
0: Are they a punk band, though? I don't even think they would consider themselves a punk band. I mean, I always did.
1: You know, I I mean, I definitely think,
0: like, if you had to say, hey, are,
1: are they the, you know, historical punk sound? Probably not. But, man, all the attitude was there. Remember, didn't they get, uh, um, in, in some of the stories you hear about bands, if they're not true, I don't want to know they're not true because they're great stories. Right. But uh, like those guys down in um, Coming Out Naked playing uh, Me So Horny.
0: Yeah. Well, so what happened yeah. there was so Luke Skywalker, the front guy for Two Live Crew, the rap right. band, gets arrested for public indecency or some kind of stuff like that. So, I don't know. I think too, too much joy was trying to prove that it was just a racial thing to kind of, like, you know, pick on... their bands doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, right. I believe they went to the, somewhere near the same neighborhood or maybe even the same club and played some two live crew songs. And I believe they were...
1: Some- they were. They were arrested, right? Yeah, so then they
0: were arrested and thrown in jail naked, I believe, or partially, like, in or own or whatever. Sure. Um. So, that was really freaking cool when I heard that. Also, the stuff where, like, they sampled Bozo the Clown without his permission, and he freaking sued him, and just, like, cool shit like that, and, like, you could write him a letter. I know this is really dating us. You wrote fucking letters in the 80s. Right. You could write them a letter, and I did, and they write you back, and I just thought that was fucking cool, Um, and they taught me a lot of lessons about, you know, not making, you know, too many rules for yourself about the tribes that you can kind of belong to, because... You know they're very much tribe crossers, and that's sort of why you can't really give them a a label. You know, and might have been their downfall. But in
1: all that, in all that kind of punk rock,
0: yeah. But at the time,
1: the whole attitude
0: at the time that wasn't going to sell like records next to like these cute guys like Blink One Eighty Two and stuff, right? So no, but you but you know
1: when it would have. Maybe Too much joy was a band today. Doing those kind of things, and people were trying to arrest. Uh, I don't even, I, I can't even think of her name. Uh, sings though, wet, wet ass pussy song, right? Yeah, yeah. And they came out and did that same thing and got arrested. They'd sell a shit ton of albums the next day, you know? It's, um,
0: it was a weird it time. It was the time,
1: and they, yeah, and they were doing it at a time when people weren't standing up for, uh, for other artists and, and other people remember the whole, it, I remember the first album coming out with the uh, parental advisory.
0: Yeah. Well, do you remember like fucking Oprah had like jello by Afra and two live crew, like all on one fucking show. I remember yeah. it. I, I have to look it up. I could be wrong, but um, I remember watching that as a kid and really being, yeah. Cause that's when the labels happened, man. Tipper Gore and like Al Gore's insane wife going crazy and, right. and um they fucking labeled pet shop boys the fucking pet shop boys were not allowed to come to the united states <laughs> and play a concert because they had lewd lyrics
1: give me a fucking
0: break dude
1: so so take that now what 30 plus years ago and now look we're, we're almost back in that same cycle you're,
0: right you're we're right. starting
1: to ban books again and starting to you know and uh, so, so now it's time for that punk rock attitude again to make that stand, because I, I do. I think uh, I think guys in punk rock bands, and women in punk rock bands, right? what's uh, X-ray specs, man, that was dead. she was cool um, started making that stand. And that's kind of what defined the genre to me more than the sound. Yeah. So I'd like to see some of that come back.
0: Hey, my favorite uh, female punk act right now is this cool-ass band, the Linda Lindas. They're actually on the Epitaph label. Right. I fucking love them. They're like yeah. beachy bebop freaking, uh, and their songs are just cool. Oh, well, the love. story's
1: cool, too.
0: Yeah, I love them. You know, I love the them.
1: young women who said, fuck you, kid, or being a dick, you know, yeah, like, I, like punk rock should be doing the hard work for the right reasons and trying not to be a dick.
0: Yeah. But sometimes like mo- motherfuckers hear you say something like with a curse word in it and it's like, oh, that guy's, you know, you're labeled quickly as a punk rocker.
1: Well, I'll, I'll walk into their church on Sunday and it'll catch fire as I walk through. the <laughs> You know, I mean, it's just that's the. You know, we we just have that
0: group of people here as well. And, and uh, you know. Well, I think, you know, being a surfer and growing up in Florida kind of primed me for punk rock music because, like, it just sort of made me an outcast to begin with. Um, something to kind of be different or make fun of. And maybe in the beginning it was to be different and, and stand out, but certainly, you know, go an entire lifetime of, Kind of following your own little creed you start yeah. to believe your own bullshit i guess
1: <laughs> well you know it, it, if believing my own bullshit is that i'm so prepared because of all the things i've done right and wrong to be judged by others and still wake up the next day with a smile on my face
0: okay right right you know well I let's can live with that let's let's talk about like the top like surf punk kind of genre bands, because I sort of feel like folks will say like, well, you know, Ramones aren't really a punk band, or you know, like some of those surf bands, like Agent Orange is a hardcore band. Like to me, these are bands that only that were playing a surf style of punk rock. Like they were surfers playing punk rock music, or they were impacted by the ocean and the and the surf scene in some manner. Um, but often it's not really considered like ska music or some of the other little subgenres to be right. But like well, when you I, look I, at it, I, like think... surfing is like a punk rock thing that you do. You're out there by yourself. Um, there's a lot of nonsense you got to go through to fucking even catch a wave, man. And there's sure hierarchy out there that's not written down anywhere. That you got to fucking learn the hard way. And that's right. <laughs> you can't buy a surfboard in the fucking store. You got to go to the surf shop, man, and, you know, there's a little bit of, of stuff you got to endure just to get in the freaking door uh, to do something like surfing, right, on a more than a fucking get some lessons and be a coop level. Sure. Which, which is fine, man, because, like, I got plenty of friends that come and visit me on the beach here in Massachusetts and take my long boards and push them into waves, and I want everyone to enjoy surfing, right? Um, but there's I wish park I park. could go
1: back and get that stoke that you know that's what happened with me when i just there just became so many other things i wanted to do ahead of uh load my surfboard up drive to the beach suit up and get in the water you know so where, where that used to be all i thought about you know and um and and it is i i kind of lost that that joy a little bit that's on me but we're
0: going to get you to back see, in the water,
1: man. I know. I know. <laughs> but to see, you know, if, right, all the guys we'd label as
0: kooks, shit, I remember they were the guys having the most fun. True. You know? Well, I wouldn't say that I was always like the ripper. or never was the ripper. No one would ever say that in my group. You know, I'm, I was taller and bigger than all those guys. Uh, you go to the surf shops, the boards are made for little dudes and. Right. I had to try to surf on their stuff because that's all I could get. Um, So when I started to get on the bigger equipment, like I was immediately labeled a coot. I'm like, but I'm 6'3", bro. The fun board works better for me instead of this little 6'0 potato chip. But honestly, persevering and just sticking to those kinds of boards for a while is why I can now still ride short boards. Because now short boards are made properly with the right kinds of foam in the right places. Sure. And I can still ride my six zero and one at 50 years old, pretty much. So, um, you know, last laugh on those motherfuckers. But uh, Yeah. But... We, we can talk more about that, too, in plenty of podcasts. Because there's definitely a jockey, you know, there's a reason there's a counterculture in surfing. There's a reason why. And we'll talk about the punk rockers in a minute. Surf punks. There's a reason but why. Well, we I need like... to talk about your
1: mental state as well. Because I did see photos of you last week. And I know it was... 40 degrees, 45 degrees here in Florida, and you're suited up out in the water up north where you live, and that's,
0: uh, that's not right. Oh, it's, it's like a baptism. I like <laughs> it, man. Dude, there are guys who are actual rippers. I'm not even going to claim that I'm a ripper. I, if I get a couple turns and you know, get one or two good maneuvers in a whole freaking uh, session, I'm happy. Um, I kind of try to surf by myself or surf in small crowds when possible. So, that's why I live where I live. You can't even fucking park here. Um, And uh, it's not that big of a deal, dude. So, wetsuit technology is really good now, and you're only cold when you're taking your wetsuit off, and since I live on the beach, I just do that in my fucking basement shower, and I'm good to go. But it's so cleansing, bro. Like, it's like, forces you in the moment, and I don't think we could appreciate that when we were young, but that reset button that surfing does like mentally is so fucking it's it's like other experiences. I'm sure you have in other things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I get a lot of that from uh, from my kids, actually. You know, like my youngest has me. uh, We're actually looking for suits. This weekend, because. My youngest is taking me underwater, you know. They just got-, got their certification to uh, um, dive and collect scientific data. Nice. You live in like fucking sharky areas too, man. Like- yeah, yeah. Well, and, and they're over in uh, St. Petersburg.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, now come on. It, it, you get in some of those waters and you got to deal with a uh, bully boy. I don't like those sharks.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah. Thankfully, there's not tons of them. I don't remember seeing. I mean, I remember seeing a fair amount of sharks growing up in Florida, surfing the Inlet, you know, New Smyrna and Sebastian plenty times and not being that big of a deal. Like, I don't have a problem. I'll go move to New Smyrna right now. Um, Not really worried about it. I do get a little worried when I surf up here near the Cape. There's some big boys out there. Right. And I'm not going to tell you that I don't get a little fucking freaked out. You know, there's a couple times like in – September and October, I like to go to the Cape when all the summer people go away. And, um, you know, early morning surfs, and I am just freaked out. I catch, like, two or three waves and get the fuck out of there. And I know that it's just my brain, but. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, because your odds are are much, much greater getting hit by uh, little sharks down in Smyrna.
0: I don't know that it's a big deal. I think that it's I'm overplaying it in my brain. There's a lot of dudes who make a living surfing the Cape and just in one piece. Uh, I know they have problems out there. I know they don't like fucking talking about it um, because it's sort of like sensationalized by the media and shit. Like all Mm -hmm. they want to do are interviews about the sharks and shit. Sure. Uh, So I'm sure that's super annoying, but um, I'm not going to lie and tell you that I'm fucking totally comfortable surfing there. And I pretty much don't go there in the summer. I mean, you add in the crowds and having to park and shit and then. You know i could get eaten by a shark and like one guy told me he sees them like pretty much every day in the cave in the summertime no oh, i used to see him every day Look in new sororna yeah
1: every yeah. But those are little
0: sharks i'm not worried as much like yeah. i don't think i'm gonna die because like a five foot black tip bit my foot right like it's fucking i don't know
1: no you're not gonna die but
0: it also you know
1: it's typically not the the white shark you got to worry about it's a, Tiger shark or bull shark or something.
0: Right. Yeah, but like if you're gonna get eaten, like that's the one, man, or you're gonna die. But yeah. Well, thankfully I don't live in an area where they come, so I don't worry about it. And honestly, the cold, cold thing is overplayed. Um, yeah. And the mental state, man. It kind of, like I said, it's like a re, re, recheck. But I want to do the a, ocean's the big unknown, man. Um, I know that we're gonna be running on, hopefully, trying to run on Pro Cannabis Network, so just want to mention and give a shout out to those guys. I know that um, uh, you don't use cannabis uh, often or very much at all. Um, I'm a medical patient myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty thankful for being able to um, consume this medicine over the years because without it, I just, you know, stress and migraines and some of my mental issues that maybe we can talk about in later episodes um, wouldn't be, you know, controllable. Oh, I got
1: a great cannabis story we can talk about. But how it, like, I'm a huge believer in it. Um, it just makes me, you know, sit on the couch and play with my snot. But, uh, man, I used to make dog treats for my dog when my dog was sick. It's, it's the most incredible medicine ever.
0: You know, and I think it gets a bad rap. Honestly, I started smoking weed when I was in college and high school area because, you know, the party. It wasn't like sure. I was trying to yeah. make it as medicine or whatever, but. Um, somewhere along the line I figured it out and you know when you're properly medicated, you know, with cannabis, I just feel like you can live a healthier lifestyle. So my goal is to incorporate some of cause obviously surfing is tied into cannabis. I mean fucking Jeff Fica and like <laughs> right. just about everybody who's like sees a surfer in New England's like, whoa dude, what's up? So it's sort of like already ingrained in our culture. Sure. So shouldn't be terribly hard to tie that in and, and get nope. with, uh, an interview. And I'm gonna try to make a real point. To um, get some sort of cannabis related interview for every show, um, since those guys are gracious enough to um, carry us on their networks. Cool. So, shout out to them. And I think we had a good first show. We don't know what the fuck we're doing, obviously. And, you know, we got some work to do with our segments and stuff. But I think that, you know, as fans, not self proclaimed experts or anything, we have something to say and land to the
1: conversation. Well, I think it's good to have a, uh, a fan perspective.
0: Yeah. Know? And honestly, like every little surf group of kids growing up had the one guy in their group that was like the music maestro. They had that one guy that was like, listen to this man, you know, Yeah. put this in, in your car and we're going to this show. So like in my group, that was me. And in your group, that was you. And I feel like there's a guy like that out there in every group that's sort of helping surf jocks who are all of our friends, unfortunately. Um, not unfortunately, I fucking love those guys. Um. But they are different, I think, from us. But we'll get it more yeah. into politics, hopefully, too, over the next few uh, episodes. Because I know we're. Oh, no, don't
1: even get me started.
0: <laughs> All right, Scott Snyder it was fucking killer talking to you, man. Yeah, man. Long time. We're going to have our. our we're, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, producer Dan. He's been. Um, say hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. How are you? <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, our technical expert. Thankfully, like Scott's real fucking bad with technology. I'm like very surprised that we could hear his microphone and actually see video and shit. So um, (laughs) we are leaning on Dan for some editing and helping us out. Um, So we appreciate that. And uh, hopefully, maybe even have some sponsors moving forward that we can thank at the end of the show um, for future episodes. But I just want to say thanks to Dan. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to uh, Jimmy Young and Pro Cannabis Network. And. Go take some fucking aspirin, man. I had to get up too early for this. Yeah, I got to take it
1: first thing in the morning. So I'm I'm well ahead of you.
0: All right, bro. It's good talking to you. All right, man. Uh, signing off. Until next aspirin. time. Yeah, man. I'm yep. Deb Shred. That's Scott Snot. We'll see you.